Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. Okay, stand up. Let's say it like we mean it. Are you ready? ready. Okay, are you ready? Yes. All right, I'm a child of God. The Father loves me. The Father forgives me. The Father wants me. I am His, and He is mine. Therefore, my past won't haunt me. The future doesn't scare me, because in His presence is where I live. All right, yes. All right, that is a prophetic declaration, which means, although you may not feel it, doesn't mean it's not true. Thank you. Thank you, John. All right, if you are to be a prophetic people, which you are, then we have to understand that there are times where we have to ignore what we feel and stand on what we believe. Because our feelings lie to us, and if you look out into the culture today, you can see that has come to a, a huge head where people are believing more of what they feel than the facts that are ever present. And so a prophetic people are going to be a people that are uh, centered on the Word of God, driven by the Spirit of God, and declaring the truth wherever they go. Okay? But you can't declare what you don't live so you got to live what you declare. Amen? All right. Uh, so I'm not arguing with God, but I feel like he's stirring me a direction. And uh, would you, I'm sorry, would you hand me? I think I left my notes down there. Oh, no, I put them right here. There, right. Um, so I got, uh, I got notes, people. Just so you know, I got notes. Got a lot of notes here, but I'm, I'm not sure what God is wanting to do. And I'm not arguing with God, but I feel that he's stirring in a direction and so uh, I'm going to go with what I got until he interrupts us. Are you okay with that? Okay. And he may not interrupt us, or it may be so subtle, but I'm believing that there's, there's something he wants to do today. And so um, let's be sensitive to the Spirit. Elders, uh, be sensitive to the Spirit. Maybe what you feel he may be saying, or if there's a word or something that God has impressed upon your heart, um, it's okay to, uh, to say something. Elders, okay, if you have something, uh, elders, actually, would, would you stand for me real quick? One, two, three, four, five, so there's two back there, and there's three right there. So if you, uh, in the congregation, feel like you have a word or something, you can bring that to any one of these guys, and they will... Uh, assess it to whether it's a now thing or it's a later thing. Okay, all right, guys, thank you. <clears throat> we have been in Mark. I, I, God is stirring me and, um, with some things. And um, the stirring happened in a meeting after the meeting that I got out of, and I was, um, I was hit by something. I was hit by something that I said, and then realize, wow, that's, that's really for me. And so it's an exciting thing. Uh, it kind of 
uh, reminding, if you will. Sometimes we get caught up with life and we forget some of the things or the benefits of the living in the kingdom and the gifts and the fruit that's available to us. And so sometimes we get so locked into a, um, a rhythm that we, we get caught up in that rhythm and then we, we, we kind of lose track and sometimes we can lose track of God saying stuff to us in the middle of our day because we're so locked in on what we have to get done. And so, um, so th- that happens, but it's awesome when God reminds you that that is happening and you begin listening um, throughout the day of what he may be wanting to say. And so right now I'm going to start on this message, but I think God is going to interrupt with some things, so we'll just be ready for that. So listen, in Mark 16, we've gone through the book of Mark. We're going to end it, um, and then we're going to start, I think, a series coming up where we're going to dive in deeply into the prophetic. And then I also believe that there's going to be some uh, demonstrative... um, things that God is going to do as we jump into the prophetic on our Sunday mornings, okay? I'm, I'm not being presumptuous, but I'm believing prophetically that God's going to demonstrate his power when we start talking about his power and his giftings, okay? So in case you didn't know, we are a charismatic church. If you're new, uh, we don't swing from the rafters. I'm too old for that. But we do love, and they're high. And so I don't bounce like I used to. I used to bounce pretty high, but now when I hit, I leave a divot, and it's hard to replace. So we've stopped swinging from the rafters like we used to. Just kidding, we never did. But um, we are passionate in our pursuit of, of the Father, uh, we believe in the gift of the Spirit, which means that whatever was happening in um, the disciples' times and throughout the book of Acts is still happening today. The Holy Spirit did not retire when the Bible was finalized, okay? So the Holy Spirit is doing what he has always been doing since he burst out onto the scene in Acts chapter 2, okay? Uh, so we are a charismatic church, which means uh, we operate in the gifts, uh, we may, it may be a little bit more subtle here than maybe in other places, but to each their own. Um, and we, we move by as the Spirit leads us. So uh, as a charismatic church, we believe those things. We operate uh, in those things as the Spirit leads us, which means we try very hard not to move out in our own flesh while using the gifts of the Spirit, okay? Because the gifts of the Spirit can be corrupted by the flesh of man. And a lot, some people can use the gift of spirits to exalt themselves instead of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Father or the, you know, adoration of the Son. Okay, so we try to be careful of that. So in some people who are very excited and want to see things happen, feels like, well, I feel like you're pulling the reins. Uh, I'm not pulling the reins of the horse necessarily. I want the horse to run free, but I want the horse to run where it's supposed to run, and I don't want the horse to get its leg caught in a hole and break its leg, and then i got to kill the horse. Right? So uh, we, uh, we want to make sure that whatever happens in the... Con- and listen, God can do whatever he wants. He can do, his Holy Spirit can do whatever it wants in this place and amongst his people. Right? All we got to do is discern what is flesh, what is spirit, what is demonic, and what is his Holy Spirit. Right? And that's just as important as letting the Spirit have its freedom, but also discerning what's true and what's not. And I will tell you that in the midst of any great revival that's ever happened, there's been the devil and there's been the flesh and there's been the real thing. And unfortunately, there's people that haven't been able to discern between the two. 
We want to be a people that are rock solid in the things that God wants us to do, operating the gifts of the Spirit. And one of the gifts we want operating fully is discernment. Because the enemy is, is a deceiver, our flesh is real, but the Spirit of God can overwhelm us anytime he wants. Okay? So that's in a nutshell who we are. Look at me. I'm in a nutshell. Okay. So that being said, we're going we're gonna to finish up in Mark. Uh, then we're going to go through the prophetic, and we're going to see what God is going to do. I, some of you need a word. Some of you need to be reminded of the word that you had. And some of you need to come back to the word because you've given up on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So God's going to do that for you. Amen. We'll see who comes back next week. Okay. <clears throat> I'm not promising you anything in my flesh. I'm feeling it in my spirit that, that God is stirring. Okay. He is stirring. And sometimes we focus so much on what is bad that is happening out there, we forget that we are the light and the agent of change through the power of the Holy Spirit where we are on this planet. So if it's dark and if it's heavy and it's oppressive, hallelujah! Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, which means that you've got everything you need in you to go and do the work of the gospel and see change happen. Don't listen to your fuddy-duddy neighbor who looks like they're unwinnable they are in your flesh. They're not by the power of the Spirit. Okay? God can crumble and humble any person. Right? And all he's asking is you is to be his voice of love. All right. I better get going here. All right. So we are talking here, starting in um, uh, Mark 16, starting in verse 14. Uh, so we, you know what's happened? Uh, Jesus, in case you didn't know, in case you're new to Christianity, in the Gospels, big thing. Uh, he was crucified. He died three days in a tomb, then he rose again, defeating death. And now um, the disciples, uh, the first people he revealed himself to were the women. And then they went and told the disciples, and some did not believe. And so here we are in Mark chapter 16, where Jesus is going to have a conversation with the 11. There were 12, but Judas betrayed him, killed himself, so he's out. Uh, Peter uh, betrayed him, but was restored in the in the Gospel of John, we know that. And so now we've got 11 disciples, and they're sitting here, and here's what's going to happen. So later he appeared to the 11 uh, themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief, hardness, and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had risen. Then he said to them, Go to all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak new tongues, they will pick up snakes, and if they should drink anything deadly, it will not harm them, for they, and they will lay hands on the sick, and they will get well. So the Lord, so the Lord Jesus, after speaking to them, was taken up to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. So we'll end right there. Now, uh, so let's start. I'm going to start, uh, let's just start with the rebuke. It's a pretty strong and stern rebuke that Jesus has towards his 11 that are with him. Um, this is a, a strong word to use. Uh, Jesus is acting like, like kind of like a father to the children. Any of you fathers, uh, let's talk, we just had Father's Day, but let's talk about the exasperation of children, Right? If you would just do what I say. How many times have you had that either come from your lips or in your mind because your children weren't listening, they were being children. And if they would just do what you told them to do, everything would be fine. But no, they got to do something else because they have the intention span of a gnat. Right? And it's just like, it's like you're watching up. Squirrel! 
right? You just, you can't keep focused on anything, and it's like, hey, listen, focus! Listen to the words coming out of my mouth. Yeah, 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 dad, yeah, dad. And, but they're going, and so there's exasperation, right? And so you want them to do, and children, you know this, and even if you're, in, you're a teenager, you've done it. You've exasperated your parents because you didn't listen. And it's kind of like what's happening here. I see Jesus kind of stepping in almost a father mode, and he's exasperated, and he's coming after them, and he's rebuking them. It's like, come on! It's okay. Anger is not is not bad. Anger is actually a gift. Jesus, uh, the Bible didn't say you can never be angry. The, I, the Bible says be angry, but don't sin. So don't sin out of your anger, but anger is an emotion and a healthy emotion. Anger can sometimes get things done, right? And, it, and, and sometimes there needs to be. And I kind of feel here when I look at this, and I don't think I'm superimposing anything onto the scripture, but I, believe, I think he's kind of angry, Three years you've been with Jesus, you've been walking, you see him calm the storm in the middle of the sea, you see him walking on the sea, you see him healing um, uh, diseases like leprosy, you see him raising the dead, you see him doing all these kinds of things, people are mobbing him, he's fed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread, he's done all these different kinds of these things. Johnny says that, hey listen, we can't even write down everything he said because I don't think all the books in the world could contain it, so we don't get everything that Jesus did, we get a sample. He did four more stuff on the earth in three years. We get, we get the highlights Okay? And so he's done some phenomenal things. And John is testifying that. And, and all the disciples are testifying to that. They've been there through most of it. And they get to this point where he's been saying, I got to go up. I got to get crucified. I got to die. But don't worry. In three days, I'm going to rise. And it played out just exactly like that. And guess what happened? He died. And they didn't believe. They thought it was over. It's over. He's dead. Doesn't matter what he said. He's dead. And so he's rebuking them because, and listen to what he says here. The strip, he's rebuking them because of their unbelief and the hardness of their heart. These are the apostles. This, these are the big 11. I mean, these are the guys. And Jesus shows up on the scene and begins rebuking them because, uh, he says, of their unbelief and the hardness of heart. So I want to just kind of take a look at something uh, here, and I want to just hang out on unbelief. The uh, Greek word is like apista. I think uh, faith is uh, pistis. And so the Greek word for unbelief is uh, apista. And, and so um, when you look at this word, there's like um, kind of several different things that fall under it. And I just want to go through, through, through them real quick. One is unfaithfulness. Two is faithless. Um, then there's want of faith, then there's unbelief, and then there's weakness of faith. Uh, and so I want to just kind of go through all those just real quickly, explain what, because I think there's some similarities, but there's some different things that go along with them as well too. So on faithfulness, the definition of that is not observing vows, allegiance, or duty, not faithful to manage vows, uh, and also inaccurate as also in, if you're doing a translation of the Bible, that you have been faithless to the original things, right? So you're writing more of, you're superimposing maybe of what you think the scripture says than what the scripture says if you're doing your own translation of the Bible. And so uh, you want to be careful sometimes of what translations that you use. I use mainly four. I have about 12, maybe, 
10 or 12 different translations, but I stick around mainly four. Today, I'm speaking out of the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. I like it. It's readable. It's kind of halfway between word for word and thought for thought. So it's, it's still kind of that, that faithfulness. So um, I, I read a lot out of the CSB. I have been mainly preaching to you this year through the NASB, which is one of the highest standards of word for word. Which means it may be kind of, it may have a $5 word or two in there, so it may not be as easily readable as the CSB, but it's really faithful to the translation. Um, I use uh, the ESV, English Standard Version. Very good, very readable, very accurate, uh, word for word. So, uh, let, me, let me get NASB, CSB, ESV, oh, and New King James Version, because I was brought up on that. Okay, I started out on the these and thous, and then um, in the King James Version, right? And so uh, there's a natural flow for me um, to, of the, the new King James Version, because it's what I grew up with. So when I was young, learning King James Version, and then I think the NIV and the new King James Version came out roughly about the same time. So I started reading the NIV, the nearly inspired version, and then... Um, uh, went back to the New King James Version because it was just so. The New King James Version is a good translation. Uh, it's, it's hard to really even call it a translation because it's more really about this is the King James Version. We're going to rewrite what it says and make it readable for people today because in the King James Version, the problem you have is you've got words that don't mean what they used to mean. Right? We've talked about that before. So if you use the King James Version, what you really have to do is you have to really go back to not only the Hebrew and Greek, but you've got to go back to Old English and find out what that word meant back then because it may not be the same as it means today because words. And also, we use far less English words today than they did back then. Okay, so our language is shrinking. With age, <laughs> like everything. I used to be this tall, I'm older, now I'm this tall, right? Okay. Gravity is a cruel mistress, people. All right. So uh, I use basically those four to help give me a good, solid understanding of what we're reading there. That was for free. Now, uh, so he's saying, so we're going to look at, so that was about unfaithfulness. Then, he's, then there's the word faithless. This is without religious faith, uh, and the sentence they give you is they were ungodly and faithless, these people, right? Then there's want of faith, and this is a lack of faith. Uh, is there enough faith to do anything with? Now, that's, that's, uh, that's an interesting thing. Uh, he's like, well, what do you mean want of faith or lack of faith? Uh, did, does, did Jesus really say anything about lack of faith? Uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, a lot of the things, and we don't like to talk about this because we don't want to make anybody feel bad. And if you think that it's just for churches that are over there, Understand how many times have you not said something to somebody on, the, on the, the subject of faith and lack of faith because you didn't want them to feel bad. Guess what? You've just entered into uh, what we condemn other people of doing, not preaching the full gospel. There is room in the scriptures for lack of faith and why things don't happen in people's life. I'm sorry. I don't want that to offend you, but you can't keep living in a false truth like faith doesn't matter. Now, faith doesn't have to be huge. Jesus said it can be the size of a mustard seed, and you can move mountains, right? So you don't need a whole lot of faith. So if there's a lack of faith, that means you don't even have the faith of a mustard seed operating in your life to do anything with. And then people become comfortable with that, and then they make up 
theologies based upon what they're experiencing instead of what the Word of God says. Are you with me? I don't know if you're with me, if you're convicted, or you're tired. Regardless, you're here. We'll keep going. Okay. So, this lack of faith, and and so, let's just go. We're not going to change the definition of faith today. We're going to expand it to what I believe it truly means. Okay? All right, so let's look at James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Are you ready? Say amen. Amen. Okay, good. James chapter 2, starting verse 14. This is what he says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? Ooh. Well, that's not the nice Jesus that people like to talk about and love, right? No, no, no. Listen to what he says. If a brother or sister without clothes is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, hey, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what their body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, it does not have works, is dead by itself. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Good, even the demons believe. Why'd they have to put James in the Bible? <laughs> right? And they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac as a son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works. And by works, faith was made complete. So this understanding of faith is not, never was, and never will be about you just saying a simple prayer. Hey, did you ask Jesus into your heart? Sure. That's not evangelizing people. Say, well, first of all, it's not really a biblical thing to say. I realize it's something, a construct we came up to to try and evangelize and maybe evangelize softly. But saying, hey, did you ask Jesus into your heart? is not in the Bible. As a matter of fact, Jesus doesn't make it easy for people in the sense of that type of statement. Whenever he's talking with his disciples, whenever he is talking with people, the rich young ruler, he doesn't say to the rich young ruler, listen, if you go, just ask me into your heart and then you can go doing whatever you want. He didn't say that to him. When the ruler is saying, hey, listen, man, what do I got to do to be saved? Well, you know the law. Yeah, I know the law, but they're saying, oh, you want to be perfect? Go sell everything and then come follow me. See, the invitation that Jesus gives to his disciples is come follow me. And I'm going to make you fishers of men. There is something about the invitation that requires a faith move on your part to get up and move from one position to another to demonstrate that you're placing your faith in the one who has called you. When you came in here today, you had one of the biggest demonstrations of your faith and you didn't even know it. You want me to show you what it was? You sat down on the chair without ever thinking of whether or not it would hold you or not. And so you demonstrated your faith 
by just sitting. Nobody got up and said, hey, what is the weight requirement on this chair before I just plop down on it? And, you know, it's, it's, a, steel, it's a steel chair, but it's been around for a while. You know, uh, see, before I just land my plane on this, I want to make sure that, you know, there's, I know the weight restrictions. Nobody did that. You came in and you sat down trusting that that chair would hold you. And some of us had to demonstrate a lot of faith because we're carrying a little bit more, right? And so my faith was, was great today as I sat in that chair because I demonstrated it by sitting in it. I didn't ask anybody about the chair. I didn't ask anybody about how old the chair was. I didn't ask where the steel came from, whether it was American or Chinese steel. I didn't ask any of that stuff. I just came right in. I just plopped right down there. Great faith, Steve. See, there has to be something that moves me in the direction of what I say I believe. It is not enough for people to come to church week in and week out. Hear me. I'm not laying a heavy burden on you. I'm just saying that if you are a believer, then it's not a requirement that you demonstrate. You can't help but demonstrate your faith in what Jesus says because he has consumed every part of you. I haven't invited him into my heart. My life is no longer my own. It's his, and he can do with it what he wants to do. And so I'm, I'm, I want to be consumed with that aspect that Jesus has every aspect of my life. And I'm going to tell you, it's a battle. We know it's a battle. We know that sometimes we fail. We know that we're not perfect. Man, we're getting ourselves up. We're dusting ourselves up. Man, I want to pursue the path of demonstrating that I have faith because I really believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I, I do not doubt that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I do not doubt that. And so I believe that my time on this earth is going to be short. Ecclesiastes says it's but a vapor, right? It's there and then it's not. So listen, I don't have a whole lot of time on this earth to demonstrate what I believe. I don't. And what I need to do is stop spending so much time on things that don't matter to the kingdom and readdressing my life to the things that do matter to the kingdom because that's where my faith is or should be, right? There's a whole lot of mountains that got to be moved, people. In me and by me. Okay, so... We see that James is like, listen, uh, something is happening, and the, the definition of faith has got weak to where even in today we've just said, oh, yeah, just believe. If you believe this, you're good to go. But James is like, you know what? You say there's one guy that you believe, right? But even the demons believe, but they're not going to get saved. They can't. So it's more than just saying that I believe in something. It's something that has consumed me and that the the position of my life. Now listen, I'm not saying that all of you gotta, gotta get up and move to Africa. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is each and every one of you has a calling on your life. Whatever it is, most of you is going to be the calling in the community that you are living in or the neighborhood that you're living in to accomplish what God wants to do there. Because there's, there's your Jerusalems, there's your Judeas, there's your Samarias, and then there's the other most parts of the earth. The type of faith that 
lack of faith that I'm talking about that people live in is, is they may have a belief that Jesus is who he says he is, but it does not affect them in the life that they live on the earth today. And James, it says, I got to ask you, is that really faith? Okay. Lack of faith. Then there's unbelief. Refusing to believe in God, his word. And this can be the unrepentant sinner, right? We know that they're out there, right? There's the unrepentant sinner who, uh, and those who are just hard against God. They don't want to believe. They will not believe. Um, or accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, right? They, I, I don't believe in that stuff. Jesus died on a cross and rose in three days. That's ludicrous, I want to believe in something that, you know, I believe more like, uh, you know, a Hindu, right? It's, you're on a spiritual journey, and you're just, you're going to be reincarnated until you get it right. I, I believe in that stuff. There's people that are hard that don't want to hear the gospel. Have you ever in your life met those people? I hope so, because you should be evangelizing. It's okay to meet people who are going to refuse your message. But you've met the hardness. Get that gospel out of my face. I don't want to, I don't believe any of that stuff. They're hard. But this can also be the person who may accept Jesus' sacrifice, but have an unbelief that Jesus has or wants anything to do with them now. So they're believing, they, they're purchasing fire insurance, right? It's like, well, I don't want to go to hell. That's a bad thing, right? I mean, our goal is not to go there. So I'll accept Jesus. And when I die, I'll just, I'll just go to heaven. Now, there may be a sincere belief in that. But the hard part, I think, for a lot of people in the church is to believe that God wants anything to do with me now. And so that is an unbelief in thinking that God can, would, or want to use you in any way at all on the earth today. And so, so what that breeds in your life as a Christian is hopelessness. Because some of you may live a long time before you die, waiting for heaven. That's a long time to live without purpose on the earth and have hopelessness on the earth. If you are breathing today and in this room or you are watching online, the one or two of you, welcome. I'm going to tell you that you were not born without purpose in the kingdom of God at all. The only thing you're doing now is, it's not about, oh God, what do I have to do? It's not like, oh God, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? It's about you surrendering yourself of your unbelief to believe that God even likes you or not and believe by faith that not only does he like you, he loves you, he wants you, he's called you, you have been transferred from an enemy of God to a son, a daughter in God and what kind of a loving father would save somebody and then not talk to them for 80 or 90 years? That, I mean, there are earthly fathers that do that and they don't get Father's Day cards or they shouldn't. Right? Well, I, I, was, I was there at your birth. What else do you need? Well, hello. But we treat, we, we act as if that's, that's what God is to us. That's not who he is. He has a desire to speak to his children and to fill his children with his identity. 
The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. And when you accept Christ, you receive the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit in you, which fills you with His identity. And you get to walk that out on this earth. And there are benefits of that. That doesn't say that you're not going to have hard times. But what that does say is when you hit those hard times, there is something that you've been filled with that is greater than what you're facing in the earth. And it cannot destroy your hopelessness. As a matter of fact, the crazy thing about the kingdom is that when you're filled with his presence and you come and opposition comes against you, you're like, oh, I must be doing the right thing because it's coming against me hard. Yay! It's the battle. All right. Uh, so there's the, the that unbelief. Ref- and then there's also the refusing to do what he says. Oh, boy, that's a, that's a big one. Hebrews 3. Let's look at Hebrews 3 for a second. You know the interesting thing about uh, Hebrews? It was written to Hebrews. I didn't know if you knew that. Okay, so here we go. Hebrews 3. Um, listen to what he says, uh, starting verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. He says, where your ancestors tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I also, they, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger they shall not enter my rest. He Now he says, watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be any of you uh, that have an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So who wrote the book of Hebrews? Listen, I, I think it was Paul. I mean, that's not something to hang your hat on, but as I've read the book of Hebrews, I've found some things throughout there. It was either Paul or maybe a, 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 a Paul was using a guy who could write for him because he did have the eye thing. So, um, so I think it's either Paul or an associate of Paul that helped him because as I read Hebrews, I have found like a lot of things throughout Hebrews that take me back to Romans. And there's some very similar things. So that just kind of leads me to think that this was Paul or Pauling or associate that was taking dictation. So I, I, I think it was Paul. You, if you don't, that's no big deal. It's still inspired. So he's going through here and he's, 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 he's saying these things. Listen, uh, listen don't, don't have an evil, unbelieving heart. Where does an evil, unbelieving heart was? Listen, these people in Egypt who were in bondage were called out of Egypt and they saw all the plagues that they were spared from. They, they saw the, the, the sea parted before them. They walked on, listen, they didn't walk on muddy ground. They walked on dry ground at the bottom of the sea right? Listen, it rained last night. I got a puddle in my yard. Just a little puddle, not a big puddle. It's a little puddle. It's muddy there. I have yet to stick my stick in that little puddle, have it separate, and walk on dry ground. I would be happy with just it separating. I'll walk in the mud, but they didn't even walk on muddy ground. Then they're thirsty. Oh, you brought us out in the desert to die. (sighs) Three days after seeing this stuff. Three days after seeing them provided for, and then the Egyptians killed, because it came back together, all of that. And then, then, oh, oh, you brought us out in the desert to die. (sighs) Father, they need water. All right, hit the rock. Oh, we're so hungry. We're so hungry. Uh, God's going to give you manna. 
Oh, oh, it's so good. We want meat. We want meat. Okay, well, God's going to give you quail. Oh, 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 oh. So, so God's going to meet you. And, uh, so prepare yourself for three days. And he's going to come down on the mountain. Okay, okay. Here comes God. Hey, Moses, you go. <laughs> we don't, we don't want to see this. Moses goes up the mountain, 40 days. Get, these people could not last 40 days before they're taking off all their gold and all their jewelry and they're forming a golden calf. And get this, this golden calf is not an Egyptian god, although they did have Egyptian gods that were calves. So it, it may come out of their memory of what they'd seen in Egypt, but they didn't call it the Egyptian god. They called it the sacred name of God, Yahweh, and said, this is what brought you out of the land of Egypt. I don't think there's any really graver sin that you can do when you got your leader up on the mountain in his presence and you formed this, this thing, called it the God, and then are having a party around it. I think it kind of ticked him off. And so what, what Hebrews is saying today is, listen, you have the same compulsion to do the exact same thing today, so don't do it. Don't have an unbelieving heart. Don't harden your heart like they did. Every time God was showing up, their hearts weren't becoming open and receptive. They were coming harder. Well, uh, fine, you got raw water from a rock, but I'm still eating manna. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, you parted the sea, but pfft. there was like a little drip of water over there. Critical in everything that they do weren't taking him at his word to, be, to live a transformed life, but were critical about everything that he did when it was all about their liberation and freedom to go to a promised land. And they were willing to go to the promised land without his presence. They would have gone in a heartbeat. They would have said, fine. And God was going to be fine with it because he was done. You ever said that as a father? I am done with this. <laughs> I am so exasperated. You kids have done nothing but bother me. <laughs> and I, I'm done. I want you just to go to bed and don't talk anymore tonight. Just do me that favor. Just go to bed. Right? You've been so exasperated. Imagine that. A heavenly father who's done all of these things. Miracles, signs, wonders, beyond belief that cannot be denied his presence in a cloud by day and a fire by night leading them but their hearts were hard and they still rebelled and what Paul is saying in Hebrews is is you're capable of the very same thing in your own life don't think that it was just back there for them this is a human condition that if we stay too long in hopelessness our hearts and unbelief our hearts will become hardened Why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Because Pharaoh's heart was already hard. He added to it. Weakness of faith. And there's some similarities. There's similarities. Here's your examples of weakness of faith. Gideon. Samson. Saul. Gideon hiding out on a wine press and the the Lord comes and says, Oh, mighty man of valor, who are you talking to? 
He's hiding out in a wine press trying to get some food so he can get back up to the mountains because he's afraid of the Midianites or whoever they were that were coming through and robbing him every time they had a harvest or something. Gideon's not a man, mighty man of valor in his humanness, but God didn't see him as his human form. God's language is the prophetic, and he calls you by what you are supposed to be with his strength. And so when he comes up on the scene, he looks at Gideon, he's like, mighty man of valor. And you're like, why? He does the same thing with me. Not mighty man of valor. More like, thou hast crowned him with glory. It's the meaning of my name. A glorious one. You must not have been watching, because <laughs> I don't feel glorious. See what happens when Jesus' sacrifice is accepted in heaven. It's a lens that's put on the eyes of the Father. That the only way he sees you now is through the shed blood of his Son. And you are now righteous. And he calls you and he speaks that language to you. Which is why sometimes we have a hard time understanding what he's saying. Because I'm not picking that up. Because I feel like I'm all covered with my unrighteousness and my human failings. It's not like he doesn't know it. But he has chosen to see me through the lens of a son and call me as a son. Sometimes there's a weakness of faith, isn't there? And, it, and that weakness of faith can lead to one or two things. It can lead to unbelief and hardness. So there, it's not, there's a journey. So some of you have been living in hopelessness so long that you're struggling now with, with uh, the hardness of a heart and unbelief. That's what I'm saying to you today. I don't know who you are. I'm not going to call you out or anything like that. This is a message to say that, listen, What you're living under is not the truth. What you've been believing is not the truth. Oh, God doesn't care. God doesn't love me. God doesn't see me. God doesn't hear me. God doesn't do this. God doesn't do this. And you've been walking around like Eeyore looking for your tail. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares. And what you are doing, hear me, what you are doing is you are speaking prophetically into your life negatively and reinforcing your flesh. So what you're doing is you're living out a self-fulfilling prophecy. You have called yourself an Eeyore. You are living like an Eeyore. Therefore, I must be Eeyore. Nobody really likes Eeyore. And that's why you feel nobody really likes me. You've taken that identity on as yourself. If anybody thinks you're an Eeyore, it's because you've told them by your actions and by your prophetic declarations that you are an Eeyore. So don't be mad that people sometimes will treat you like you've already called yourself. Change what you're saying. All right. Oh, listen, I don't need all of you to become tiggers either. <laughs> One or two tiggers is enough because they're all over the place. 
You can be a poo, eat your honey, be happy. Honey is golden like glory, okay? So you can be a tigger, but just be a calmer tigger. Okay. So we see there also, he says, they're unbelief and hard heart because, listen, let me tell you, a hard heart leads to unbelief or unbelief will lead to a hard heart. It, 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 they're just partners in crime and, and they lead to the deconstruction of the individual and the life of disobedience will follow the unbelief and the hard heart. There are people that are still coming to church for years and years and years but are living in constant unbelief and hardness of heart and you see it all over. And if you have enough of them in your church, then your church will become an unbelieving church with a hard heart. And that's why sometimes when you get new pastors who are full of life in congregations that are dead, they're short-lived. Because they don't want to be moved. Well, you're stirring the cheese. Why is he stirring the cheese? Because the Spirit is trying to move in your church. Well, I don't want the Spirit to move in my church. Well, then live an unbelieving life of disobedience. And enjoy the consequences of it. See, when you get, when, when denominations or stuff get uh, new pastors, especially young, that are full of life and want to see the glory of God come and want to see change, but all they meet is resistance, what the congregation judge just turns it upon them and saying, oh, they were so horrible, they were this, they tried to change everything and all of this and it wasn't working and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And let me tell you, I hear that from people. And I haven't been brave enough to say, well, that's because your congregation is just horrible. Why don't you just break the church up? Because you're operating under, under seriously, you're operating under the principle of unity, but it's not for the glory of God. It's for the glory of Satan. And you're living horrible lives, and you're not having any impact in the community that you were supposed to, or the impact you're having is negative, and now even your neighbors are becoming like you. That's horrible. Break the church up. Let people go to another church where there's life so God can deal with them individually. But sometimes, because of the hardness of heart in people's lives and a group of people, unless God, it's time to let that go. It took the church that I grew up in that I call it spiritual cancer. It developed spiritual cancer in 1978 from a church split. And she got on a little bit of spiritual chemo <laughs> to kind of get her through the hard times. But what she didn't understand is nobody, I never heard of anything about spiritual warfare. I was born in 1971. I never heard anything about spiritual warfare until 1999, sitting with you in a youth group at another church. And I was like, I am 30, 27, 28, 29 years old. I came back to the Lord at 27, born and raised in the church. And I, I've never heard anything like this about spiritual warfare and the enemy and the demonic and all this. I mean, I, you heard about the demonic, but it was more like metaphorical than that there's actually an enemy that's seeking to, to steal, kill, and destroy you. And that's what got me here because I knew I had to sit under that. I knew I had to grow under Chris's teaching. Okay. And, and so uh, spiritual warfare is an important thing that we do to combat what 
is coming at us. So um, we see that in Ephesians that the, the spiritual warfare, the armor that we have, the armor that we have is that we have spiritual darts that are coming at us. And these spiritual darts are coming from the enemy. Sometimes these spiritual darts mostly described as coming from the enemy. And he's planting thoughts in your head. And he wants these thoughts to stay in your head so that you'll build a cycle of life around these thoughts. And what we call that is a beachhead that he, he, he lands in there so that you'll build your life around the cycle of thought. And the cycle of thought can be, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not smart. I'm not good. I'm not... Uh, all these different kinds of things. You insert there. I'm damaged, right? I'm, uh, you know, bad things have happened to me, so I'm, I'm forever damaged. I've done some horrible things, so I'm forever damaged. And so that's, those are the darts of the enemy that are throwing those things at you. Oh, you're worthless. You're an orphan. You're not a son or a daughter. You're a second-class citizen. God only saves you because he has to. He doesn't really want to. And these things cycle around in, in the lives of people and they don't know what to do and it creates hopelessness and it, sooner or later it, it can lead it back into unbelief and they don't know how to defend against that because they've never been taught that what they think is a lie. My goodness, people. I mean, honestly, we're having arguments about biology today. This is, this is the saddest state I think we've ever been in as a culture when we are actually arguing about biology because what I believe trumps over the natural biology of my body. Come on. I'm not making fun of that. There's serious hurts and wounds that people have, young people have, I get it, that have happened. But as the church we have the answer to set some of that straight with the truth. And we can't capitulate out of fear of people who are living in lies and speaking lies and living lies and telling me I've got to accept those lies. No. No. Now listen, I'm not talking about hating people, but that's what it's being called because I speak the truth. Now, listen, speaking the truth doesn't mean you, ha- you get to be a jerk for free right? You're not speaking the truth to be a jerk. You're speaking the truth in love, which means uh, don't fight those battles in groups because that's bait. Don't always go for the low-hanging fruit of what people are struggling with, whether it be homosexuality or transgenderism or anything like that. Don't attack the low-hanging fruit Get to the heart of where the woundedness is, and when that becomes healed or there's a root that develops in the kingdom of God, the fruit will change. But if you attack fruit, it's only going to produce more fruit because you've pruned evil. Are you hearing me? The only thing you can do is hope that there's, you get, we get rid of the root of bitterness and there's a root of righteousness that develops through their belief in the love of true love of a heavenly father. So that's why I don't necessarily go for that low-hanging fruit, that stuff that's easy to pick, whatever people are struggling with, whatever it is. You try to get to the heart of what has wounded them and set them in that direction. You know what I found out? That the Holy Spirit is quite capable for people who are willing to receive his healing and to follow him. He is quite good at leading them in the directions that they should go. And sometimes I don't have to say much. Sometimes you'll just be there for questions. So don't try to be the Holy Spirit. Just be used by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, um, all right, so 
why is Jesus saying this? That we've gone through all these different kinds of unbelief, lack of faith, because listen, these guys have been in for three years. They're about to be released. And if you're about to be released, you cannot be struggling with unbelief in, the, in, in where you're set and where your course is going to go for the kingdom of God. These guys cannot go out wondering if Jesus is real anymore. They can't go out wondering, well, I, I know he did that back then, but will he do it here? I don't know. I, this is crazy. I, he, no, no, that's over. And now he's got to deal with this. Listen, you can't have unbelief or hardness of heart towards me. And he had to be a little stern with that. Okay, now that we've done with that, here's what you've got to do. You're going to go into all the world, and you're going to preach the gospel. So before you get set on the purpose of what God has to do, you have to be set on the identity of who God has called you to be, who God really is in your life. And once you've set that rock solid, now comes the purpose and the releasing of what God has called you to do. It's far harder to believe who God called you to be than it is to do what God has called you to do. That's what I'm seeing in the world today. And there are people who want to short-circuit that and want to go do what God has called them to do before they know who God has called them to be as a son or daughter. Because believing what God has called you to be deals with the heart and the issues of the woundedness that have happened throughout their entire life. And it deals with the mindsets that they've accepted as truth. And so that can really feel like those of you who have been in the military and boot camp, they didn't sit you down for tea and say, hey, listen, when the enemy comes, we'd really like you to just push him back. The drill sergeant came out and he said, you know what, Curtis, We're just so glad you joined the army. And we want you to be you. I mean, they're doing that now, kind of, but they didn't back then. What they said was, hello, worthless, you're mine now, right? You're not in mommy, daddy's house anymore. And so they deconstructed him from what he was to make him into what they needed him to be for the purpose that they set for him. God does the same thing, but he doesn't use drill sergeants. God goes to the heart, and God speaks with a whisper. And God goes, I know you're hurting. And I got something we can do with that. But he also lets you invite him into it. Because he's so good and he's so caring that when you invite him in and he begins to deal slowly with the issues of your heart, it feels like it's painstaking. It feels like I'm re-feeling that whatever happened over again in my life and I just don't think I can do that. But the problem is you've been doing it your entire life. What's going, what he's going to do is going to make it end. It's going to heal in a way that it's not going to have power over you in the future. It's going to re-strengthen. You know, when that bone has set wrong and they re-break it and it sets right, it becomes strong and it becomes functional again. And so what God is doing to the issues of your heart is he's chipping away at those hearts of stone. He's chipping away at all those things that have happened. He's chipping away and all this, and you're like, this hurts. This is woundedness. I can't, I can't feel it. I don't want to feel this anymore, but, but, but I know I don't want you to stop. What's going on? And then all of a sudden, there's a realization that comes that he is who he says he is. Not just from a throne room, but in here. And then what he does is he starts speaking your true identity into those situations. I know what happened to you. I know what you're struggling with. 
But that's not who you are. You are not defined by what happened. You are defined by my word as a son or a daughter. And what you thought was damaged, I know is good. I know is healed. I know is covered in my glory. I know is going to be used for for the glory of my name. You are not damaged. You are remade in my image. You have finally found, son or daughter, who you are supposed to be in my presence. And none of us have gotten through life without hearing or experiencing the negative things. And what we struggle to believe now with a heart of unbelief is what God is truly saying to you in that situation. And listen, time is a gift. So we have a past and a present and a future. God stands outside of time. Hear me. Because he stands outside of time, he sees time like this. So there's that point back here where you're hurt. There's that point back here where you're healed, where you're, where you're living your life, and then there's a future. Where does God intervene? Right back here. There's a point here where you feel something happening, but it's because he's out of time, and he's going right to the place where whatever happened happened or whatever you believe got locked in. And he's releasing it from the point of entry. Now, he's not wiping your memory of it, but when you feel that healing, it doesn't just go from here forward. You're feeling it from almost that very position of when it happened, which is the fullness of who he is. So he stands outside of time as eternal, which means he sees your life at the beginning and at the end. He is the beginning and the end. And when he brings healing, it doesn't just happen at this point. It happens throughout the entire timeline of your life. And that's why the past no longer has power over your present and your future because the healing has come. And he's taken the sting out of here. And now, for those of you who have experienced are living a life of a new creation and it no longer has power over you anymore. You almost feel like a Superman because you have been like a calf that's released from a stall and you're leaping for joy. That is the goodness of God. I gotta, I'm not gonna go into the rest of this because before we get to the sending, we got to receive the healing. We got to receive the healing. Now, I don't know what it was. I'm just going to be real here. It can be as devastating as somebody taking advantage of you when you were young. It can be, it doesn't have to be that deep or that horrible. It can be going through middle school that's traumatizing enough. And maybe, maybe not coming from an affluent, maybe you couldn't afford the shoes. Maybe mom and dad couldn't afford the clothes. And maybe people were laughing at you. And maybe people were making fun of you. And maybe people were speaking an identity in your life that you were just poor white trash. If you think that that's not powerful, you're wrong. 
Because it set the belief in motion in your life that that is who you're always going to be, unworthy. Damaged. And there's two ways that work that stuff out in your life. Some people work their entire life and become successful and have all the money they've ever wanted and have the beautiful wife and the 2.4 kids and the rich cars and that, but they have never felt worthy. So no matter how much they amass, it's all about trying to fill a hole that things can't do. And they get to this point where they have everything, but they're still as empty as they were when they started. Other people begin to manifest that out as and all of a sudden they have no direction in their life whatsoever because no matter every, anything that they do, they're worthless. They're damaged. They're no good. And so it manifests itself out in their life as just existing There may be a few people who try to straddle the fence, whatever. But the issue is, you, today, how long do you want to keep living with that lie? It hasn't done you any good. It's held you back. It's held you down. It's been cruel. And it's a tool of the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God wants to do in your life. So today, as you hear his voice, don't harden your heart like they did in the rebellion. Open your heart to the goodness of the Father now and let him begin that journey of healing and restoration to bring you into the place that he has called you to be. Now listen, this is not Harry Potter with a magic wand. This is the beginning of a journey that you are going to experience God every step of the way through wholeness and restoration. And he takes his time in doing that so that you will be able to know him intimately throughout the entire process. That's his goodness. Today, if you hear the Spirit speaking to you, don't walk. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about restoration and healing, which is the children's bread. It's for you. It's for you. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife@aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.